Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dawson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. I'm Nikki Bandini. On this Humpty Dumpty edition of the pod, after being sucker-punched by Villarreal, can all of Bayern's horses and all of Bayern's men keep the squad of former kings of Europe together again? Also, with Bayern gone and Chelsea gone, Real Madrid must be thinking, Zim Zimmer, we've got the keys to Benzema. We can win this Champions League. We, on the continent, are going to be real about Real's chances. And talking reality checks, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your Toby Jugs. They're still dreaming about the Serie A title in Naples, despite an Achilles heel the size of a mixed classical metaphor. Well, it's all Greek to me. But thankfully, Nick is here to sort out the pasta from the Savlaki. That was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Andy, Bayern Munich out of the Champions League at the quarterfinal stage again. What's going on? It's, it's been a difficult week for Bayern. Uh, it's been a difficult couple of weeks for Bayern. I, I feel this was the, the culmination of a tricky spell that's been coming that those who maybe don't watch Bayern Munich with complete closeness have, have maybe missed. There's always an assumption that Bayern are Bayern all powerful, they'll get it done. But there are a few warning signs that this was going to happen against Villarreal. I feel that they had some of the opportunities that Salzburg had had in the last round. And Salzburg, despite eventually losing the second leg 7-1, um, did have their opportunities. 
they were maybe a bit too callow to take them. You could never accuse Unai Emery in particular or his Villarreal players. He's got a lot of very experienced players in that squad. Just look at the midfield for a start um, with Parejo, Capu, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can never accuse them of that. Um, and, and this time, it felt like a shock that wasn't really a shock and has been quite a long time coming because we've talked about it before. There's been this discussion in Germany for a couple of months now where a lot of people have said Bayern cannot win the Champions League playing like this. They're just that little bit too open. And with Julian Nagelsmann, I don't know whether it's stubbornness, a touch of arrogance, and I think you need that. You need belief in your own methods. But also, I think as well, we have to be angled towards, and a lot of the post-mortem in Germany has been angled towards maybe he hasn't actually got the squad for it. Because the amount they missed Leon Goretzka, not in this, of course, because he's just come back, but um, you know he didn't play the first leg at Villarreal where Nagelsmann himself said that is where we lost the game. But him missing for four months has had a big effect on the balance of the team. Uh, Joshua Kimmich, who partners him in central midfield, has not played as well. And I think you and I have talked about this, Dalton, that a few of Bayern's key players, including... Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry have not been playing well for for a few weeks as well and, and, and certainly not in a Champions League context. They've not been at their best for a lot of this season. A, a, a lot of the post-exit chat in, in Germany has been, you know, maybe the squad's not right. We know that Nagelsmann needs to rebuild the defence and, you know, he's incredibly annoyed that Niklas Zula has been allowed to go to Borussia Dortmund because they wouldn't pay him what he wanted for for, for, for next season. And if you look at what he's had to do, I mean, we, we talked, didn't we, about how Jesse Marsh, who's done a, a great job with Leeds, how he's thrown a bit of a, a hospital pass with the, the Leipzig job because he went in there, expected to keep a certain level going, expected to meet certain targets, but with his best defence stripped off him. Now, if you go back to last summer, Nagelsmann has had to do it all with no Alaba, with no Boateng. I know Boateng's not been great this season off the, the back of, of no pre-season, but Boateng was one of Hansi Flick's key players in, 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 in many senses. So losing that experience is, is a big thing for him. And of course, there are no excuses. There are no mistakes allowed. Now, because of the recruitment, because of the sense that maybe this lies with Hassan Salihamidzic, the sporting director, who's not universally convinced people in the time that he's been in the job. And of course, Hernis and Rummenigge have, have gone now. So Oliver Kahn is the CEO. This is the first real big test for him. How do they keep Bayern at the peak of the European game? Because there were more than a few tweaks and a, a few kinks to be ironed out. But this is the second year in a row that Bayern go out of the quarterfinal stage. Uh, Nicky, how much of a significant moment is it for a club of that stature? I, I think it's really interesting because Andy started with that premise that um, people who haven't been paying attention haven't seen that coming. And I, I think that what's sort of fascinating to me about the dynamic with Bayern is I think that's deliberate. I think Bayern really strongly try to project themselves as everything um, as a club that can, to some extent in this moment when 
Premier League clubs are pulling ahead financially so much can can just ride through everything. We'll always be European nobility. We'll always be expecting to compete in the last uh, mm. stages of, of the Champions League. Um, that will always be disappointed not to reach the semi-finals. Basically, that's the bar they set themselves, which is a high bar. It's a knockout competition. Even if you sort of get things right, you can miss that bar. And I actually think that's become something really sort of fundamental to sustaining that success because, again, not that by an, crying poor to anybody, but they're not necessarily in, in the transfer market able to compete with the richest clubs in the world anymore. They can mm. compete with a lot of clubs, but not not with some. And they do try and run themselves financially quite sensibly as well and, you know, pre-pandemic turning good profits. And I think that's a, a genuine sort of... Um, issue for them right now is working out how to sort of juggle that fiscal responsibility that's been part of their brand for so long with with the reality of everyone lost a lot of revenue but i think that that projection of strength is is really core you know we're always going to win the bundesliga we're always going to be in the latter part of these tournaments and that's why players want to come and play for us and i think that's actually a little bit of a threat to their to their very sort of identity if you stop doing it. I think yeah. it's 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 more threatening than it is for some other clubs because projecting strength is part of who Bayern are. Yeah, that that's right because yeah, it's right. You you don't come here to make as much money as you do at PSG. You mm. come here to win. Yeah. I, I think I think that's absolutely right, Nikki. I think the interesting thing is those partially self-imposed financial limitations mm. are something they're going to have to deal with going forward and and, and making this rebuild. Because you would argue there are a few squad players who they could get rid of, which is the most difficult thing for for any club of, of of that size. But more is about improving the quality of the players who are outside the first 15, 16. And also the fact that they've got a lot of contract years coming up. Now, mm. the, the, what's going to hamstring them is in 2023, Neuer, Muller and Lewandowski all run out of contract. So does Serge Gnabry. Now, Serge Gnabry, they cannot countenance losing him. And I don't think they will. But the thing is, if they want to keep him, they're going to have to pay. Because, bear in mind, we talked about it on here a couple of months ago, didn't we? Back in January, I guess, Dutton. The, the fact that they've had to pay a lot to keep Kingsley Coma. If you've paid him that much, you're going to have to pay Serge Gnabry the same. You know, there's no way around that. Similar age profile, similar talent. Similar serial winner. Okay, Gnabry's maybe a, a year or two behind him in, in terms of that. But part of that is the clubs that Coman has been at at the time. But if they're going to want to build around those two, th th they'll have had to pay to keep them. Now, even before we get to that, I don't think there's a situation in which um, Muller, Lewandowski and Neuer all get paid. I don't think they can afford to do that with three guys in their mid-30s. Basically, no one wants to be Barcelona. No one wants to pay everyone what they want because if you end up doing that, well, you end up like Barcelona and Bayern are not a club that that's going to happen to. Well, who would they lose out of those three? I, I don't know. It's, it's a bit like a Bayern edition of shag, marry, push off a cliff, isn't it, really? <laughs> I can't follow that. Nikki, can does, you? Does your version of that have the cliff specific? I just thought it was just kill was the last option, but you've really sort of taken it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Visceral. Um, I, I think it's such a fascinating question because in my head, like instinctively, you think responsible running of a football club, 
Robert Lewandowski has got another year on his contract. So you don't have to let him go. You don't have to get a fee for him, right? You can just say no. Stay here, run out your contract, and then you'll be 34. And they got him fee-less in the first place, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. And you can walk away from that, I think, financially and think that's all right. But with him and Muller, I think with both of them, there's definitely like a completely responsible position that says it's time. But then you look at the numbers and Lewandowski is over 30 goals again. And how do you replace that? And Muller has what, 16 assists. He's certainly yeah. a leading assist, uh, assist provider this season. How do you replace that? And it's it's just not that straightforward. And the problem is that even if your answer is to somehow find that money behind the, the Bayern Munich sofa, they're still going to keep getting older. So you have to confront it either way. Mm. But it's it's a really daunting question. And Gnabry and, and, and Coleman are talented, but are they Thomas Miller and, and Robert Lewandowski? How do you replace Lewandowski in the open market? I think that, that is an immense challenge for for any club if you think of the fee and the wages it's, it's almost not doable isn't it isn't it for Bayern I I think if they can convince Lewandowski to take some sort of medium term deal like a two or three year extension the thing is people get twitchy like even if he was to get a three year extension people are getting twitchy about that because of his age but I think the counterpoint to that and if you're Pini Jahavi Lewandowski's agent what you're saying is he's still the best number nine in the world and he's, he's, he's not just maintaining his level through his 30s, he's improving. Mm. That, he, he's not that the one who goes off a cliff. That's impressive. I think, that's impressive. I think Neuer's, Neuer's form has been better in the last two to three years than it was in the two to three years prior to that. I, I think it's, it's going to be a really tough decision because I, Muller is like, you know, he is Bayern. I, I think he might be the one that has to go. I didn't think I could follow it, but I've just come up with an old reggae song. Uh, it's a choice between a wife and a sweetheart. There is a question about this, and it is about Lewandowski as well, it, unsurprisingly. From Callum on Instagram, he says, who is likely to replace Lewandowski if he leaves this summer? That's a possibility. I, I, I think it's such a difficult question, and it's for the reasons that Andy just touched on. And I think... Um, you know, funnily enough, I was having a conversation about this with someone um, in the context of Serie A the other day of like, where are the great number nines? And, mm. and there really aren't. There's maybe Victor Osimhen in Serie A right now, but he's been injured a lot. Maybe Dusan Vlavic is on the way, but that's it. Um, it's so hard to find a great number nine. I mean, unless you're going to go out and, and get a Haaland from Dortmund, which doesn't look like that's the way that's going now. Where where are you finding them? Even if you had the money, where are you finding these players? Um, and that is why... I think Andy might be right that actually if you're looking for the the one marry out of those three, maybe it has to be, um, I mean, you've already been married to Robert Lewandowski for a long time, but maybe you need that second um, uh, ceremony that reaffirms your love for one another. Renew the vows. So the question is, if this marriage comes to an end, who would replace him? What they need to avoid doing, whatever they, whatever they do. I'm not going to tell you what they, <laughs> they, they should do. I'm going to tell you what they shouldn't do. Now, remember when Lewandowski left Dortmund, they looked at him and even then, before he reached his peak of now, like this is a multifunctional player, a bit like Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Manchester United. We cannot get one player to replace him. So they bring in Adrian Ramos, they bring on Chiro Immobile, neither of them work. Partly because neither of them has a defined you're playing every week role that, that maybe they need. And they're two incredibly different players. So, botching the succession 
is really easy. I say sign him again at pretty much whatever the cost. Breaking news. Lewandowski to replace Lewandowski at Bayern this summer. <laughs> There is, of course, another Champions League consideration in the semi-finals. That is that Real Madrid, they're in the mix and they're on fire, to be fair. Are they thinking, do you think, Nikki, we we can win this? I mean, of course. they're in the. First of all, they're Real Madrid. So I think a bit like with Bayern Munich, this is a club that will never tell you that its ambition is any less than, than everything because that's who they are as a club and, and an identity. But I also think that you've gone far enough on this journey with Ancelotti, with this group of players, to to, to believe that you can. I I don't know how you both feel about this. I, I didn't think that they were better than Chelsea over two legs, but they won. And I think there was a, a great line I read in um, in a um, an Italian piece actually this week um, on Ultimo Uomo, which is a great website for Italian speakers. Um, but it, the author was talking about Real Madrid and. And he said that Real Madrid's football was, in the purest sense, art, not in that it was a great work, but in that a true artist can change everything with one line of paint or with one uh, word in a poem. And and that's how it feels with this Real Madrid team, because it doesn't matter if you're better than them, because I think Chelsea were over two legs, certainly much better than them in this return leg at the Bernabeu, because you've got the outside of Luka Modric's right boot, which is art in itself can do anything at once it yeah. seems like sometimes and you've got Karim Benzema who can I mean he's been absolutely spectacular in this in this Champions League even if it was more the first leg of this tie than the second one and and I think on top of that maybe my, just my Italian roots but I think Ancelotti is also part of this story because I think he's had quite a lot of sort of criticism in the last few jobs he's been at and not be able to do things not be able to transform things and I think he's Whatever he is or isn't, I mean, first of all, I think I saw today Champions League managers who've been in um, semi-finals Champions League in four different decades. That's a pretty select club that he's wow. he's he's involved in. Um, but um, the uh, the 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 thing that he does so well, Ancelotti, is draw the heat out of situations. The Italian word is dramatizzare, which is to de-dramatize, basically. And I I think that for Real Madrid, that's who have these players who can just decide things on their own. That's exactly what they need. Because in that moment when you're 3-0 down, what you don't need is, even though, I mean, it's a whole different story I don't want to get into, but the Atletico Madrid scenes with, with Man City where it's all spilling over and everyone's at each other's throats, you don't need that as Real Madrid. You need everyone to stay cool so that in that one moment when Modric gets that ball with enough time, that you can just take it. And I think that that is why he's sort of also part of that picture. But in the end, it is having just some absolutely magical footballers. That Rodrigo finish, by the way, I mean, I know there's been a lot of love for the Modric pass, not least on the Ramble this week, and quite rightly so. But but you've got to put it away at the end. He's just come on cold into a team that's not really getting a lot of chance. Their team is getting absolutely hammered, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. And he's managed to take that chance that he knows is absolutely vital. I, I think it's, it's an incredible piece of work. Well, it was funny because I think it was, wasn't it Marcelo had come off the bench and actually got the ball to Modric and then Modric sends yeah. it to Rodrigo to come off the bench with him and, and scores it. So like the connection of the two substitutes with, yeah, but it was, you're right, it was a beautiful finish. And and that's, Real Madrid have got these younger players, Rodrigo and Camavinga and others who are, 
also part of that picture of why they're so they're so capable. That's why I think Real Madrid can go on to win this competition. As you said, Nicky, because of Ancelotti. Mm. Because even after having won so much, he's open to change. He's open to suggestion. And they are going to have to change, I think, in the semi-final if, if they want to go on and win that. They cannot play how they've played against PSG and Chelsea and expect to, to roll over Manchester City, I, I don't think. Um, you know, we've already discussed how they're inferior to PSG for all but probably the last half hour of the second leg. Um, I think it's easily overlooked that they're really under the pump for the second half at Stamford Bridge mm -hmm. and through a few good Courtois saves and some really quite desperate defending, they, they managed to get around it and some poor Chelsea finishing as well, we, we, we have to say. They're really inferior in, in this second leg for, for most of it. I said before the start of the double tie with Chelsea, they can't win if they go in with a midfield of Casemiro, Modric and Kroos. Now, Modric isn't going anywhere, is he? Uh, and quite rightly so. You know, he, he had his contribution. And certainly in the, in, in the first leg, when Chelsea didn't go anywhere near him in the first half and, and let him do exactly what, what he wanted. Um, he needs more legs around him. And I think the way that Real Madrid improved in this second leg, once they got Camavinga and once they got Rodrigo on, the way they improved once they got Rodrigo and Camavinga on in the second leg against Paris Saint-Germain, Ancelotti can't ignore that anymore. He really can't ignore that anymore. And it is tough when you have to move on from these players who've, who've given the club everything. They need to give themselves a chance to, to, to win this. And they, they were really lucky to get away with this. Really, really lucky to, 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 to get away with it. It's such a cliche in football that you weren't playing well, but you won. It, and, but I love the way that you described it about the work of art because, you know, you look at works of art and who's going to compare um, Bruegel's Icarus with, I don't know, uh, Van Gogh's self-portrait or daffodils. We know Van Gogh is a prettier one. However, you'd be a fool to look at the old masters and think there isn't a lot going on there. Does this make Atletico Francis Bacon? Yeah, I'm not as good. I know his triptychs at Francis Bacon's trip, but you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on art. You look at me. Do I look like an expert on art? Do I, you you start digging there, right? Don't I've look at me. Myself into a hole. But there is a method in my madness because when you look at Icarus, uh, which it looks like an old style painting, very ugly and everything, but the bloke is falling out of the sky, splashing into the water. There's so many narratives going on. No, it's important. What are the narratives that are going on then? in Real Madrid that we perhaps don't see on the pitch but will make the difference because they've got to face Man City and Man City we know play some pretty football they will be the Van Gogh in this and unless uh, Real Madrid is very aware of why they can move forward and win this even though they're not playing better than for example for example Man City others are involved in this as well then I don't think they're going to beat them. The, the, the thing is, I think there's the assumption that Real Madrid do what they do. They get it done however do they, they get it done. Do they believe in that? Do the players yeah, on the pitch yeah, believe I in think, that? I think they do. I think they do. But I think that belief and that belief that it's just going to be all right because we'll find a moment is not enough against Manchester City. Yeah, and yeah. I think particularly the way, and this isn't just an Ancelotti thing, this is if you go back several years of Real Madrid in the Champions League, They've really come up short at home 
of course, they've been away from the Bernabeu for a couple of years during um, the, the redevelop and the pandemic, which they used as um, a, a window to to stay away and to, and to play the games at Baldomeras, the, the, the training centre. But the, the fact is, even if you go back to Zidane and, you know, like really coming under the pump against Juventus, losing games to Juventus, losing knockout games to Bayern, you know, they've they've been weak at home for a while and we think oh, they'll, they'll just find a way i think that's quite a dangerous thinking mm. of course it's it's emboldening and empowering in a, in a certain way because you have that belief in the players that, arrogant that as we well, will though, yeah that, that, that we will find a way but i think that's the wrong way around to think of it if you thought of it that let's have a plan let's play better yes let's not get completely run over and eventually our luck will run out because that's how it feels to me at the moment mm. yeah i I do think, well, I've just made the case that they can win. I, I do see them as underdogs. I see them as probably out of the four teams left in the tournament, they're the third. And, and I, I do think it's the English teams that are the top two. And I think that, that gap is real between City and Liverpool and, and the other teams in the competition. But I I think what was sort of fascinating with Atletico's um, tie against Man City is that even though City won in the end, I actually think that for two full legs, the games were played on Atletico's terms. Mm. Atletico set the terms of the first game, which is we're just going to sit here and, and make this no fun at all. And yep, De Bruyne scored and that was in the end enough. And in the second leg, Atletico closed it down for the first half. And when they wanted to raise the pressure and start creating chances, they did. So actually, they decided how the game would be played, even against a team that is better than them. I don't know that Real Madrid can do that. I really mm. don't, actually. I, I don't know that Real Madrid can make City play the sort of game that Real Madrid want to play, which is why I do think in the end, my answer to how they can win is because individually they can make things happen. My big concern is that unlike Atletico's, I just don't think they can avoid conceding goals. And I think that's that's the biggest problem with Real Madrid right now. I just don't think their defence is very good. Gina, I, I, I think you've got a point. However, on the, on the other side of the pitch, they've got the keys to Benzema. And look at that draw look at the four teams in the semi-finals at the moment i would have thought he was the best of the four strikers you're saying they've strikers. got the best forward player in it i think there's yeah. an argument to yeah. that isn't yeah. there yeah. and th there'll be a statistical argument to that there already is of course he's level on goals with Lewandowski, and well he's got more time to get past him now hasn't he softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. As always, we have to turn to and ask Nikki the question, what have the Romans ever done for Napoli? <laughs> and yet Napoli are up there uh, above the two Rome teams in the league in third place with only the Milan teams above them and even ahead of Juventus. And I said it properly, didn't I? Um, they, they are still in contention of winning this league, but... Do you believe that they can? They probably do in Naples. This is a conversation we were having just before we, we came in. I I don't really believe that Napoli can win the league title. But I'm also not sure I believe that Milan or Inter can either. And someone's going to. Like each of them have taken turns to convince me that, that they could. And then they've undermined it. But I mean, to talk of Napoli specifically, it, it does feel like every time... Every time the opportunity is is there for them, every time that the window um, is a little bit cracked open for them, that's when it all falls apart. And of course, you can sort of view that in a bigger picture way. Um, and this last weekend, there was such an easy opportunity to draw a parallel because, of course, under Maurizio Sarri, when they got 91 points in Serie A and they had that chance to, to topple Juventus, it all fell apart with a, a three-goal defeat to Fiorentina. This last weekend, <laughs> they lost conceding three goals to Fiorentina again. So there's this easy parallel of, is it just history repeating itself? Well, they got two back, which is an improvement, I suppose. Yeah. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite as straightforward as that, as that story looks on the surface, because actually I think that what happened um, under Sarri was, was genuinely an astonishingly brilliant season. Again, 91 points, that's more than they've ever had. Um, and they ran into a Juventus team that was just more consistent than them. Um, whereas, this season's team is is not that special. It is on paper, I think, good enough to win this league. In fact, I think I tipped them at the start of the season to be a dark horse to win the league because they have great players. They've got possibly the best number nine in, in Italy in Victor Osimhen, um at the moment. They've got Kaladu Kulibani at the back. They've got midfield stacked with creative, talented players from Piotr Zielinski, um, Fabian Ruiz, Victor Anguissa, who's had a, a great um, first season there. Um, the Botker as well can 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 exert some good control. You've got Insigne on the wing. You've got uh, options to go with it to go with an attack from Mertens to Politano to Lozano. It's actually a very very talented team when you go through it player for player. I think compared to to most of the teams they're competing with, but they are bad at home this season, and they're also just frail in these big moments. And I do think this is where there is some link to what happened under Sarri, which is, and in fact, Ancelotti, funnily enough, Ancelotti who was there and, and in the end it didn't work for him there. But still, 
that talent that he talked about, that I talked about, um, stramatizzare, taking the, 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 the drama out of a situation, I think is something that Napoli and Naples sometimes desperately need. And I think Luciano Spalletti is leaning into the exact opposite for them, which is every time we get one of these games, whether it was the Barcelona game where he wanted to talk about Maradona's game and, and Maradona looking down from heaven and how he'd be cheering for, for Napoli, or whether it was the game against um, Milan where he's told his players, you have a chance now, either you can be immortal or you can be forgotten forever. He always escalates it for them. He always takes it to this bigger mm. and bigger place. And I, I feel like there's some link there between that and then the fact of being in front of your own supporters who you know are this incredibly passionate set of supporters who did go crazy with the fireworks after they beat Juventus um, four years ago. And, and it was... They were still a point off top at that point, but they were yeah. that convinced they could win the league that it was a huge party in the city. And I think that Spalletti, who gets a lot right, I think he's a, a smart manager. I think he makes good tactical decisions. I, I can't help but feel that he keeps upping the ante for a club that maybe needs the ante lowered. Is that a cultural thing? I mean, I, I generally not, don't know anything about this. I just wonder, but what I've seen of Napoli fans is that they tend to be a lot more dramatic, mm. if you like. Is, is he playing to the gallery, as it were? It may not work on the field, but does it work amongst the spectators? I mean, Spalletti himself is, is dramatic. And in some ways, maybe that has felt like at times like a great marriage. Like he gets, he gets what football fandom is in Naples and he can relate to people. Um, I mean, he's 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 very much a, a big gesture person. Francesco Totti writes his book about him being crazy to the point of you'd see him running down the corridors naked, crazy like that that level of crazy. Um, but again, very is that smart. an exaggeration? Just for the clarification, that's, that's, that's in Totti's book. Whether or not it's an exaggeration, <laughs> that's up to Totti. And they had quite a difficult history by the end, so you know to maybe take it with that pinch of salt. Um, but they. I don't know, um, honestly, Dutton. Like, I, I, I think he certainly sort of buys into it. I think he's really bought into it. I think he wants to be the man who takes Na Napoli to this place and gets to be immortal with them. I think he buys into that. Um, I'm just not sure if it's what the team needs. Um, because, again, the talent is there in the team. I think there are some things that, that, that aren't right tactically as well. I mean, again, Osimhen, I think he's so brilliant. The goal he scored, the third, uh, the, the, the last goal is mm. Napoli's second against Fiorentina was an example of what an extraordinary talent he is. And he only had 29 touches in that game and he scored a brilliant goal and set up another goal. But contained within that is also a problem that's being had, which is 29 touches. Why are you not getting the ball to him more? And I think that tactical thing is also part of the picture he feels isolated and, does, doesn't yeah, he yeah Spalletti hasn't ever managed to quite make him part of the team in the right way it's, it's weird that he's simultaneously isolated and because I don't think the midfield gets up to him quickly enough mm. and yet too lent on as well because I mean it was almost painful watching that game against Fiorentina like everything he went through he obviously wasn't 100% fit mm. going into it and yet the physical demands on him were so much... It was a bit like Fernando Torres at Liverpool. It was exhilarating, but you kind of felt that he was on the edge of some sort of physical breakdown at the same time. I mean, what I wanted to ask you about the, mm. the team more globally, Nicky, there's no doubt the talent that you've been through. You know, There's no argument with it. To me, it feels... And I know some Napoli fans have complained about um, Aurelio Di Laurentiis maybe not being fully committed to building the squad. Now, mm. 
on the other hand, he has spent quite a lot of money. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's, there's no getting around that. I wonder if they are at a place where, as you say, they could win the league, but, but should they? Because I think you look at some of those great players and certainly Dries Mertens, we know that Insigne is on his way. Some of those best players are kind of on the turn or at least heading towards that point where they're on the turn. It feels to me that they're slightly below their best. And in terms of the squad, you know, if you're losing Aussie men for injury, which can happen for a couple of mm-hmm. games because he had been in the wars and then some this season, you end up with Pitania in there. Is Politano really top quality compared to some of those? Like he's a good player, but is he really top quality? I just wonder, is there the the depth there that, that maybe you have at, say, Inter? I I find that question tricky because actually I, I think when I go through the team in a lot of places, I think they, they have more depth than Inter. Mm. Of course, you're right. Number nine, Osimhen, you can't replace him and... and is it, is a huge well, it's the same at every club, isn't it? It's like if Spurs lose Harry Kane, I suppose. Right. Yeah. But if you haven't got your one number nine scoring the goals for you, again, you should in theory have Mertens, Insigne, Lozano and Politano who can all contribute. The issue is that actually quite a lot of the players aren't performing where they should. Zielinski, who I mentioned before, first half of the season, I thought he was playing as well as he has in a very long time. And I love him as a footballer. But the only time I've seen him play we well in the last couple of months was for Poland and I think he's been quite poor actually for Napoli the last couple of months um, there's been questions about whether or not it's a mis- an unbalanced midfield with him and Fabian Ruiz both being there together but I think individually he's just not playing very well I think that um, when you look at Inter who I think are the, the favourites obviously they're in position now where if they win the game in hand they can go top and I think that probably overall you would have said at the beginning and continue to say throughout have the best squad depth I I still think that they have lots of areas where they don't have great depth I mean actually when you're talking about their attack it's Edin Dzeko who's been good at times but shown his age Lautaro Martinez who's gone out of form for large parts of the season and then who if you want to talk about the midfield sure they've got bodies but when Brozovic is out who's an able replacement for Brozovic there's nobody who plays no. the level of Brozovic so actually, I'm not sure that the squad depth thing is as compelling as it looks on the surface. I think Napoli's squad depth is, is fine. And I think that the, the sort of the sad part of this story is that Insigne is on the way out. But he's not old. So you, you could have hoped for one last great season from yeah. him. Mertens has actually played pretty well this season. So he is still at a level where he can give you something. Um, You've got a sort of half sort of on their way out end of their time cohort with these other players like Osimhen who you'd hope would be there for a while and they could have come together and and formed something I think it just hasn't happened and quite apart from what happens this season our listener Ruben has tweeted us because he wants to know about how the likes of Insignia leaving and Osimhen leaving uh, or probably leaving will affect Napoli in future title challenges as well, for the foreseeable future? I, I think the, the future is is certainly up in the air for them um, because, yeah, Immobilis, sorry, Insigne's gone. Um, Mertens, it doesn't seem like they're going to renew his contract, even though he would love to stay. Uh, he, he's desperate to stay, and it's it's kind of sad that that's the way it's heading. Um, Osimhen is a big question because the club... Um, it's generally quite good at balancing its books. For all the criticism that gets thrown at Aurelio de Laurentiis, 
by the standards of Italian football, he's been quite good at not running a really irresponsible spending ship. And Osserman was the club's all-time record signing, was a big investment and has arrived at this moment when, of course, like everyone, hit by COVID. And so the last accounts, they lost about 60 million euros. He's the one piece in that squad you can really cash in on, I think, and get a good price for. But if you do that, the team is... Where is the future of the team? It's a big question at that point. But at w- w- what point does De Laurentiis think, I've invested a lot of money, to often not much mm. thanks, and we're spending a lot to finish second or third? Or in some cases, like last season, not even in the Champions League places. I, I find De Laurentiis' motives at times quite inscrutable. I think, obviously, he's a movie producer. I think he would love to write the movie in which Napoli win the league title. But I think he's not... Maybe it's just not that complicated. Maybe it's it's not inscrutable at all. He just doesn't want to do it at the cost of his own personal wealth. You know, he's happy to mm. do it if he can run a, a club that will balance the books reasonably well most of the time. He doesn't particularly want to do it while being, I don't know, Marathi Dinter in the 90s who's just willing to say, yeah, I don't care about a billion euros <laughs> of my family's money. That'll be fine. I think the word you're looking for is philanthropist. <laughs> well, the word or the phrase I'm looking for is mixed metaphors because, of course, we're talking about the central province of the old Roman Empire and yet they've got an Achilles heel, a very stadium-sized Achilles heel. What's that about? Well, I, I can't give you a good explanation really for why they have been so um, poor at the... The, the now Stadio Maradona, other than what I said before, which is that I think that they might be a club that benefits from playing with less pressure and not more. And when you're playing at a stadium that has been full recently and that can be very um, high energy, perhaps they feel that pressure more with Spalletti amplifying it than when they're away. We always welcome your communications during the course of the week. Always get in touch with us on social media if you can. At Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Nikki Bandini. So, this is a question from Peter. It's a biggie. Um, Peter Maloney says With the end of the season insight, what big managerial moves do you see coming? Um, Ten Hag aside, obviously. So, no double Dutch in that respect. Well, well going back to the beginning, um, I think speculation around Nagelsmann is unfounded. They've paid £25 million to buy him out of his contract and th- there's clearly changes at the, the, the top of the club that have affected his ability to, to do his job to the maximum. So I don't think he's in any real danger. I think he will stay for, for a start. I think there are a couple of big jobs coming up this season, this summer, I should say, because... Pochettino will almost certainly be gone from Paris Saint-Germain. But he's got nowhere to go, has he? Well, well that's, that's because that's at the moment when people are still in jobs. I mean, stuff is, stuff is going to open up. There's no doubt about that. I think you look at Antonio Conte and whatever happens with Tottenham at the end of this season, them making the top four, as they might, is no guarantee he will stay. You know, if you look at the history of Conte, that that is that is how it is. Then I think you look at the fact that Paris Saint-Germain have told Max Allegri they're interested in him. Now, he's got quite a lot of contract. He's in a different situation from Conte. He's got quite a lot of contract left. But he's he's not entirely rebuffed them. He's listened. 
which I think is, is, is quite interesting. Then you look at some of the other big jobs in France and Germany. Jorge Sampaoli has a not entirely easy relationship with a lot of members of his squad, which I, I think is one worth keeping an eye on because he's not really been a long-term coach in the past. I suspect Peter Bosch will, will leave Lyon. Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> and and then you go back over to to Germany and Marco Rosa. There've been a few chance for him to leave in recent home games. And Sebastian Kale, who's coming in as the sporting director, will get rid of a couple a couple of big players. It looks like he's aiming to get rid of Royce and Hummels, maybe the coach as well. They've received a lot of injuries and there've been some suggestions that that has to do is, is training with his training methods. And then let's throw a dark horse in there. The best paid coach in the world, Diego Simeone. A lot of internal tension at Atletico between players who would like to play a slightly more expansive form of football and a man who, if any week, has underlined that he's wedded to his principles. Well... This has been it, right? So there's no short answer to that question. There that, is, that's what I'm there is, soon there is potentially Nikki a lot going on. To well, expand on this some more. See, I don't think that any of the top jobs in Italy are inherently like looking that likely to change because Stefano Bioli at Milan, unless he gets a better offer somewhere else, they're going to keep him without question. Um, Simone Inzaghi at Inter hasn't been a brilliant first season, but especially if they win the league title... Even if they don't win the league title, there's there's no chance, I don't think, of him getting chased out after year one. I think he's done well enough. Um, Again, Max Allegri at Juventus. I think Juventus have just spent a lot of money on him, not going anywhere. Um, Spalletti at Napoli, I think he would get another season if he wants it. The only one, maybe in the top six, or maybe the, I suppose both the Rome clubs, maybe Sarri's season's been up and down at Lazio. Mourinho, who knows? It always feels like it's on a knife age because it's Mourinho. Gasparini's clearly going nowhere at Atlanta. So there's nothing sort of that has to change. But as soon as you said Simeone, honestly, he's been quite vocal at various times about he's going to coach Inter at some point in his career. And I know that my sort of the Inter section of my socials last night, while not everyone was appreciating Simeone, the intersection of my socials was just full of people saying, God, I wish we had this manager, I wish we had this <laughs> attitude. So I think that that marriage if there was an opportunity for it, would certainly be appreciated, whether or not the, the club would actually go in that direction. But I really hope it happens at some point. Uh, so do I. I. I just wonder how much would it cost? Yeah. Because it, it would be so expensive. I mean, the Simeone route, surely at the point where he eventually leaves Atletico, it's a year off before he takes another job because you've got to realise what you've got. You know, we've, mm. we've, we've, we've seen he, he, he loves to spend time with his, his his young family and try and disconnect. He's someone who's so involved. I think the the day after he leaves Atletico, he'll probably sleep for a week. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, he puts so much into it. It's such a, you, you, you talked about it before, it's, it's just so energetic. Every game is like a performance. It's like he's playing. And, well, I can only imagine that at, at a full San Siro. That'd be yeah. pretty spectacular, it, right? It would be a show. And then I, I suppose, you know, if Allegri does have his head turned by Paris Saint-Germain, that would be ooh, a very big job that would come available. I have n honestly no idea which direction they would go in if that happened. Because 
they've gone in this sort of weird journey the last few years, haven't they? Events where they did their Maurizio Sarri route, convincing themselves that he could make their football beautiful, and it didn't work. And they went the Andrea Pirlo route of let's just do the organic thing, get our own sedan, and it didn't work. And going back to Allegri was just like, okay, let's cling on to the thing that we know about. So if that didn't work, then the next one would be a really sort of fascinating appointment, I think. But I think that's the question. Where does Zidane pitch up? I mean, Zidane at Juventus. Well, was, there is yeah. there is another question because I have to walk the fine line of North London. And <laughs> when Andy said, you know, Conte, no matter what, who knows? You know, um, well, you know better than me. <laughs> well, for, for the benefit of both sides of North London, will he go or will he stay? I have no indication that Antonio Conte is planning to leave, but Andy is exactly right that Antonio Conte will leave precisely whenever he feels like it. Up to and including after the start of pre-season training, as he did at Juventus. <laughs> so there's never a certainty with 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 Conte. I think he's, I think he's enjoying himself at the moment, and I think if they get the top four, I think he'll stay. But that's a hunch. And again, the thing with Conte that people have to understand is what's happening on the pitch is one part of it, but he is his own person, and he's very, I suppose, like Simeone, very, very in his emotions. And I think if Daniel Levy gives him the wrong vibe, the wrong message, the wrong <laughs> vibe on the wrong day in the summer, then anything can happen. But right now I get the impression he's having a good time. Daniel Levy, are you listening? <laughs> As all we do, we end OTC with a Game of the Week recommendation from uh, both of you, if you don't mind. Nicky, you've got one. I have Napoli Roma on Easter Monday. Um, I think it's 6pm UK time, but check your calendars to be sure on the time, but definitely Easter Monday. Napoli at home and uh, as we discussed haven't had great results there they will know their rivals results before they play so they're going to know how much they need to win if there's a chance to go top I think that that's sort of such a loaded situation all on its own and then you've got throw Jose Mourinho into that mix who will be you know still fighting for a Champions League place at the moment it's an outside shot but they are certainly fighting to finish the season strongly certainly could be impacted by whatever's happened on Thursday against Buda Glimt in the Conference League. I think it's it should be a very um, high intensity and entertaining game. I could see it spilling over. I think that'll be a good one. And are you going to go for Greek or Roman <laughs> in, in terms of food? Well, you can't pick sides between Greece or Roman. No, but I started, or off, <laughs> I started off by saying souvlaki or pasta. <laughs> so did. I thought we'd end with... Uh, I, I feel like I should because it's Easter giving you like um, traditional Easter cakes and there's so many to choose from and there's specialties to the south of Italy as well that you could look at and all I have in my head as a kid who was raised in a half Italian family for Easter is on Easter Monday you should be having your super size not the normal little ones your giant oversized kinder egg and you should be <laughs> chomping on that while you watch the game and having a massive sugar rush because that's what you do on Easter Monday. Faber-J eggs are available. <laughs> uh, not at our not, price. not to me, they're not. <laughs> I was going to say, your son would sell you. Nah, nah, too expensive. <laughs> uh, but you've got a football game of the week for us. Yeah, um, Saturday evening, um, half past five UK time, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Köln. And Ooh. this is the Ryan Derby. Very, very keenly contested. And what makes this so interesting is in recent years, it's been Gladbach who've been the stronger side. They've been the better run club, been the better team, played the more attractive football. But this season, they've really struggled. 
they've just about pulled away from the bottom and they're not going to go down now after a couple of okay results recently. Köln can just about push towards Europe. I don't think they'll quite get there. But I don't know many cities, apart from Cologne, that get so ridiculously overexcited and over-optimistic if their team are doing well. That would only be enhanced by a good result in the derby. They, last weekend, were 2-0 down at home to Mainz, one of the other big carnival clubs. And that, uh, Stefan Baumgart, their fantastic, very iconic coach, who's transformed Köln along with rehabilitating the form of Anthony Modest this season. He made a triple substitution and then, hey, presto, could win 3-2. So they go into this in a good place. And if they win, they're going to go crazy. So I would suggest lean into that optimism, lean into that sun. And as if you were going to Germany, get a big barbecue grill, get the sausages on it, maybe a steak or two, toast your buns on there as well and have some sauerkraut on the side. I, I feel like I need to sort of illustrate difference between Andy and myself here because the only thing I think of with Cologne has only been the one time. It's a chocolate museum there as well. Oh, And excellent. they have a, a fountain where you can dip wafers into it. So it's all right. <laughs> you think of all that food and Nikki just goes for Chocolate. the guttural. What she knows it? what we want. It's, it's, it's good to have a combination of vein and dessert, I think. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Football Ramble Presents is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.